I'm Brandon Knight, and this is My Seminary Life. Well, welcome back, everybody. All this week, I have been reading 20 chapters between all of my books for class, looking at things like creation views and the attributes of God. But the big thing that the homework was wrestling with, which is what I want to talk about here this morning, is what is the Trinity and how do I explain it? Because the the doctrine of the Trinity is a very important one, but it's also a very complex teaching. And the better that we can understand it, the better I think Not that we can become better intellectual Christians, but the better that we can worship and show our love to God. Right off the bat, I would really like to recommend a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. This is a great book for anyone who is coming into this conversation not really understanding the concept of the Trinity, or by the end of this you still don't quite get it, which is fine. Uh, Or if you just want to go a little deeper, this book, it's Kind of a short read, considering that it's about the Trinity. I think it was less than 200 pages long, or just about 200 pages. Dealing with the different functions that the members of the Trinity have, and ultimately, this is the punchline for the entire conversation today, ultimately that understanding the Trinity isn't just to make us smarter Christians, but it is to help us worship and show our love and delight in the Trinity. We are to find joy in our relationship to the Trinity. But for now, what is the Trinity and how do I explain it? So in Christianity, we have this teaching called the Trinity. And it is essentially this, that God is one, and yet God is also three distinct persons who are all equally God. So The one statement sounds a lot like monotheism, which is exactly what uh, uh, Judaism teaches, is that God is one. The Shema Yisrael, Deuteronomy 6.4, is Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All throughout the law, Israel was taught to only worship one God. No other gods, no idols, only... Yahweh, who brought them out of Israel, that was the only God that they were to worship. But then, throughout the revelation of the New Testament, we see that God is three distinct persons. It comes up briefly at points in the Old Testament, but by the time you get to the New Testament, it is very evidently three distinct persons persons. You have the Father, you have the Son, Jesus Christ, and you have the Holy And each one of these people are distinct people. There are different views within Christianity uh, that God is one and that the Father, Son, and Spirit are different modes. This is called modalism that God can switch into. So sometimes he can be the Father, sometimes he can be the Son, sometimes he can be the Holy Spirit. However, when you look at say, for example, the account of Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, you see that Jesus is being baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. So in that case, we see that there are three distinct persons. Also, as you wrestle with the entirety of the text of Scripture, you see that each one of these people have a distinct function. 
So the so the father is not the son, the son is not the spirit, the spirit is not the father, and you get the idea. Because they all have distinct functions. The father is shown in scripture to be seated in heaven, receiving praise and worship from the from the heavenly realm. You see that in Revelation chapter four. Uh the father speaks life into existence, Genesis chapter one. Uh, Jesus' disciples are taught to pray in Matthew chapter 6 to the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament who was there at the beginning with God and was the agent by which creation took place and is equal to God. That is all in John chapter 1. It also says in John chapter 1 that Jesus took on the form of a servant, that Jesus took on, well, that's actually Philippians 2. John 1 also also says that he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, took on human flesh. He is the propitiation for our sins, 1 John chapter 2, and is now seated at the right hand of God, being the mediator between God and man. And then there is also the Holy Spirit. And a lot of the teaching for the Holy Spirit comes from John chapter 14. This week I had to write a short positional paper on my view of the Trinity. And so a lot of what I'm telling you right now is coming from that short positional paper. In John chapter 14, it says that the Holy Spirit is a personal being, meaning that uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a he, not an it, uh, there is a, another view within Christianity that God is the Father, and Jesus was a very virtuous person who the spirit or life force of God dwelt upon. But what we see here, again, is that Jesus is equal to God, making him fully God, and the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in Jesus' Jesus's name, but is a person. Not just a force or a spirit or a ghost. The Holy Spirit is a person who is also present at creation. In Genesis 1 verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over everything. The Holy Spirit also equips us to be able to live a life that is glorifying to God. You see that in Galatians chapter 5. It is by the Spirit that we are able to live the life that God has called us to. He is our helper. He is our advocate. Again, that's John chapter 14. And also, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf to the Father. So each one is distinct Each one has a specific role. Each one is fully God. So, in the Old Testament, we have this teaching that God is one. But in the New Testament, we have a clearer teaching that God is three persons, and they are each fully God. And so, the difficulty there becomes... How are this, How is this all true? That's uh, Wayne Grudem writes in the uh, Systematic Theology that if it was one or the other, it would be really simple. If it was just monotheism, that God is one, then the teachings of the New Testament are heresy. But if God is three persons that are all fully God, then we're actually polytheistic. And you can see argument, I can see how arguments could be raised for one or the other. 
Christianity, Christianity builds off of the foundation of Judaism. So you could make a strong argument for, well, actually, we should just be accepting this view that God is one. But the Old Testament is under the law. And as Christians, we are no longer under the law. We are under Jesus Christ. So should we then reject the teachings of the Old Testament that God is one and embrace this new idea that God is three persons, so now we're polytheistic under the new covenant? Or do we stand in the middle with trying to reconcile these thoughts that God is one and yet also he is three persons who are all equally God? And I think, well, at least what I wrote my positional paper on, is that we are to stand in the middle with this tension. Now, all throughout Christianity, we have been trying to come up with an illustration that helps reconcile these two thoughts, that God is one, and yet also he is three persons who are all equally God. We have been trying for so long to come up with an illustration. We had a forum post assignment this week. Uh, for those of you who have never been on who have never gone to online school, forum posts are the worst because every class, the rules change slightly depending on the professor. But uh, basically, to this is a replacement for in-class, in-class discussions. So everybody has to post something, answer a question by a certain day, and then by another day, you have to reply to so many people on their post. That's how discussion forums work. And our discussion forum for this week was explain the Trinity to a group of middle schoolers, which I was all for because I work with a bunch of middle schooler boys. And so it was actually not easy, but it was a little easier than last week's. Last week's was so, the question was so poorly worded that I had to go read other people's answers first in order to understand what I was even supposed to be doing. But this week, I totally, I was like, okay, I can even envision my audience. This is great. So, and that was a lot of what my uh, post in my forum discussion was about, was a these illustrations that we use to explain the Trinity. And if you've been in church for very long, I'm sure you have heard these illustrations time and time again. The Trinity is like a tree, because a tree is one thing, but it is composed of roots, the trunk, and branches. The Trinity is like water, because Water is water. It's one substance, but it can be a liquid, or it can be a solid, or it can be a gas. The Trinity is like an egg, because an egg is one unit, but the shell is an egg. The yolk is an egg. The egg whites are, of course, an egg. Or there's the, uh, I'm trying to think, what other ones are there? There's, uh, there's a one person who is also oh, Grudem brought this one up. I know I've never even really heard this one, but it's like uh, there's one person who can be the mayor of the town, a farmer, and the deacon of a church. It's one person with three distinct roles. One I heard recently 
actually, we had a sermon recently at church where the pastor was preaching on the the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and following. And so it got on to this conversation of the Trinity, and he used the example of the Incredible Hulk. So you have Bruce Banner, he's the Hulk, and one person. Then you have the Green Hulk, who is the Hulk, and one person. And then you have Joe Fixit, who is the Grey Hulk, who is one person, and also the Hulk. So, and he used that as one of many illustrations for the, to help illustrate the Trinity. But the thing about this is that at some point, every illustration falls apart. No matter, no matter what, every illustration falls apart at some point. Normally, if you follow the trend of all these examples, normally it's the three distinct parts, part of the illustration that makes sense. Usually that is the part that is easily grasped, is that there are three distinct persons in the Trinity. But it's after that point that it starts to lose something something starts to give at some point. Take the tree example for an for an example. Um so yeah, so a tree is one thing that is composed of three parts, but as soon as you take away those three parts, it stops being a tree. A tree is not it, the roots. A tree is not the trunk. It, you need all three in order for it to be a tree, and that's not how God works. Or take the water example. I brought up modalism earlier. That's basically modalism because water changes into different modes, and that's what modalism teaches, that God changes into different forms. Even the Incredible Hulk one isn't quite isn't quite there, although I really appreciate the attempt to have a very nerdy illustration. That's something that's very in character for me. So, at some point, all of these fall apart. And so, we come back to our original the statement I made a moment ago of, so then do we reject one of the teachings that God is one or that God is three distinct persons? who are all equally God, do we reject one of those and embrace the other? Or do we still try to stand here in the middle with the tension of, we don't quite fully understand this. And I think we still stand in the middle where the tension is that we don't fully understand this. And it's because of this. If we were able to point to one thing in all of creation to say that that right there is exactly how the Trinity functions, then I think our God is too simple. I think if there was something that we could easily, easily grasp in this life that better understands or better explains the Trinity to us perfectly, then God is simple. But because there is nothing in all of creation that we can easily point to that says this is how the Trinity works, then that means that our God is so much more complex and greater than his creation, than we can possibly fathom. And that's okay. The goal of Christianity isn't to be the smartest Christian in the room. That's never the point. The point is to be drawn to a place where we are in awe of who our God is 
And let's face it, this teaching that God is one and yet also three distinct persons who are all equally God is pretty awe-inspiring. Like, there is nothing that we can fathom that gets us there. There's these illustrations that get us closer to the idea that God is three distinct persons who is one. But there is nothing that perfectly explains it. The only thing that I think gets it remotely close, and still it's not quite perfect, is the idea of a family unit. That God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they all take on the title of God. And so, much like a family, there is one unit all under one name, the Knight family, for example. And they have three they are three distinct persons, but they are all equal in the household. It's it's still not quite there, but it's closer. But even at that, the fact that it still doesn't the fact that it's still not perfect should bring us to awe. We shouldn't come to the doctrine of the Trinity and think, well, I don't quite get it, and so I'm just going to move on. Or, well, maybe I'll understand it better when I'm older. Which is something that one of the people wrote this week in their uh, forum post, because we were supposed to be writing as if we were teaching middle schoolers, that his conclusion was, well, it will make more sense when you get older. And I, I, you know, very patiently and not in a very jerky way, like encouraged the guy of like, I don't think you should really end the conversation there. I don't think you should end the conversation on, hey, this will make sense when you're older. Again, coming back to this book, Delighting in the Trinity, I think the idea that <clears throat> I think the idea that we can't quite fully grasp God and how the Trinity works should lead us to worship him more. This should increase our worship for God because this shows how much more distinct and powerful and complex and beautiful he is that we cannot fully fathom him. And that's okay. It should draw us to worship and love him more. So that's the Trinity in 20 minutes. <laughs> so that's the Trinity in 20 minutes. And yeah, how do you explain it? Pick any of those. I would maybe shy away a little bit from the water one because I think that's the one that's a little too close to a heresy. I think the egg illustration works fine. The family illustration works fine. I like the Incredible Hulk one, but it's probably because it's the Incredible Hulk. Either way, whatever illustration that you end up liking and use for your own teaching, or when you're teaching your children about the Trinity, I think it's important to have this conversation of, this is kind of how it works, but it's still not perfect. Make sure that is still part of the conversation. I, I think we need to admit at times when we don't fully get it. And it's okay because when we admit that we, full, that we don't fully get it, that can at times bring us to humility to worship God more. <clears throat> well, thanks for listening to today's episode. Again, the Trinity and how to explain it in 20 minutes. That's pretty good. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment on whatever pop, 
podcast platform you are listening to this episode on to rate and review, subscribe, star rating, whatever it is. If you're listening to us on a platform that doesn't have any of those options, like Spotify, I like put my hand over my mouth like that was going to make any difference, like Spotify, uh, then you should head on over to our Facebook page, give us a like on there, and you can write a recommendation on Facebook to tell everybody on Facebook how much you like the show. Also, big news, everybody. We're on Instagram now. If you've missed it, I announced that this week on Facebook and I've started posting on Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod, P O D, like the band. My Seminary at My Seminary Life Pod. Uh, so you can go follow us on there for slightly different updates uh, because, you know, pictures. So I have to do things a little bit differently on there. Um, so the conversations will be different. So that gives you a reason to follow us on both. Um, and as always, if you have any questions about what we're studying or just have a general question you want to ask me, feel free to slide into our DMs on Facebook or on Instagram. Leave us a question on there, or you can always ask a voice message on Anchor as well. And don't forget, we are. I would love to do a Q&A as part of the Christmas special coming up here in December. So get your questions in, and maybe we can make that a segment for that show. And that is it for this week. Uh, the next two weeks, we are going to be doing a two-parter on Christology, that is the study of Christ, the study of Jesus. So I'm interested to see what the divisions will be like, or if I end up just doing one big episode. I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But until next time, I'm Brandon Knight. Keep on studying.